Hi everyone, it's Pastor Dan. Um, no intro music today, uh, nothing special like that. As you could probably guess, um, we had another technical mishap yesterday, so the uh, sermon audio didn't get recorded, and I'm actually sitting here, it's Monday morning, I'm in my home office, and I am going to um, re-record uh, yesterday's sermon for you all. Our passage is Jonah 3.10 through 4.11, and I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. <clears throat> when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? All right, so want to start things off with a little confession. Um, it's nothing major. In fact, it's something that I've actually talked about before uh, in some other sermons. And it's something that if you listen to these sermons enough or if you hang around our church enough, you're going to learn this about me anyway. Um, but the confession is that I spend entirely too much time and energy trying to come up with clever sermon titles. It's true. And it doesn't always work out. Uh, my sermon titles aren't always all that clever. But I've identified this as an area of vanity for myself, uh, especially when I come up with uh, something really good. And I am particularly proud of the title for today's sermon, A Gourd from the Lord. Like, I can't even say it without smiling. A Gourd from the Lord refers to this really strange story that caps off the book of Jonah, where God sends a plant or an older Bible translation, it's a gourd. Um, a more accurate rendering would probably be vine or shrub or bush or something like that. But God makes this plant spring up overnight to shield Jonah's head from the sun. And this makes Jonah very happy. I love how it's worded in verse 6. The Lord God appointed a bush, made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the bush. I just love that. That's amazing. Then the next day... God sends a worm to eat the bush and kill it, which makes Jonah wish that he was dead. Weird story, right? 
Yeah. Well, <clears throat> one of the commentaries I was looking at this week refers to this plant as a gourd from the Lord. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, yes, there it is. That's my sermon title. And I was pretty proud of myself for finding that. But like then again, gourd is an older translation. You know, there's a lot of different variations for what we could call this plant. So I wanted to kind of look through my options and, and make sure that, that, that I had landed on the best possible one. So a gourd from the Lord is what I ended up going with. And I think you'll agree that I made the right call. But we could also call this plant a shrub from above. Not quite as good of a rhyme, but I like it. Um, another option would be a very divine vine, which, like, let's face it, that's basically cheating, right? Because, you know, divine actually has the word divine in it, so that's not really a rhyme. And then I racked my brain trying to think of a clever title that included the word bush, like a bush from... I, I, I can think of nothing. I can think of nothing. And, and you know that your sermon prep has gone completely off the rails when you're sitting in your office Googling words that rhyme with bush. <laughs> Uh, so a gourd from the Lord it is. <clears throat> but before we get to the gourd, our passage opens with a dispute between Jonah and God. And Jonah really throws it down here. Um, you've got to appreciate this level of intimacy with God where, where someone can basically call God out. And in this passage, which is the climax of the story, Jonah raises his voice in protest to let God know that he is not happy about God sparing the Ninevites from destruction. Oh Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Now this sounds like a praise, right? Like this is the kind of stuff we find all over the Psalms, praising God's mercy. But here it's a criticism. Jonah wants to die because of this. He's angry about God's mercy because it's being shown to the wrong people. Now, we've, bo we've beaten up on Jonah a fair bit in this series. Uh, the book of Jonah itself kind of beats up on Jonah. He's often the butt of the joke and really made to look pretty ridiculous. Uh, like, for example, when he wants to die because a worm ate his bush. But just for a minute, I want you to put yourself in Jonah's place. Imagine you are Jonah. And here's Nineveh the capital of an empire that has marginalized your people for years and would eventually go on to destroy it. Not only that, Nineveh has sown violence and destruction across most of the known world at this point. Think of like all the evil empires from history, you know, your Rome, uh, Napoleon's empire, Germany during World War II. Think of what many of our ancestors, for those of us in the Americas, Think of what they did to the native inhabitants of this land. All that chaos, all that destruction, all that death. Imagine that falling on you and your people. There's nothing an empire like that could do to make up for all that violence. There's no apology good enough, no reparations large enough to make what they did okay. And now imagine if your God, who's the creator and judge of the entire universe, forgave all of that chaos and destruction just because the bad guys said, we're sorry. That's what's basically happened here, and I think I would be pretty mad too. I can maybe even understand death 
being preferable to this reality, a reality in which God relents from punishing evil. Jonah's raising a challenge about God's justice in this passage. As he sees it, God's mercy is unjust. God is offering forgiveness when he should be dropping the hammer. And I think we can all relate to Jonah on at least some level, if we're honest. And here's what I find really telling in all of this. God offers nothing to correct Jonah's criticism. If you look at like God's response to Jonah, there's no, there's no pushback. There's no defense of uh, God sparing the Ninevites as just. Nothing like that. Instead, God just asks Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Now think about how Jonah got to this point in the story. Think about how he got to Nineveh in the first place. When God first commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, he instead got on a boat and sailed in the opposite direction. Then when Jonah was thrown off that boat and was drowning in the sea, God sent a giant fish to rescue Jonah and take him safely to dry land. Jonah was in all-out rebellion against God, but God rescued him anyway. God showed mercy to Jonah when he didn't deserve it. You could argue pretty persuasively that Jonah is only alive at this point in the story because God was unjust. And let me just say, thank goodness that God is unjust. I mean, could you imagine if God's justice operated like our justice? Like if God's justice was like our criminal justice system? I know I would be in a lot of trouble, right? Uh, mandatory minimum sentences, three strikes and you're out. <laughs> no thank you. How much of damaging religion in the world, religion that like, like hurts people and sows destruction in communities, how much of that is based on the assumption that God's justice works like ours? That's exactly where Jonah's coming from. And it is totally understandable. But God has a better way. Ironically, a less just way. And so God gives Jonah this little object lesson, which brings us to the bush or the gourd from the Lord. Jonah plants himself outside the city, waiting for a destruction that isn't coming. And, uh, you know, maybe he thinks God will change his mind. It wouldn't be the first time in the story God changed his mind. Um, but I really see this as an act of protest. Jonah builds himself a little tent, and then he sits down outside the tent and just waits to see what God will do. And so God gives Jonah a little object lesson, the kind of thing we give to kids, where you like take something complex and you use some kind of metaphor that's very visual um, to explain it. The sun's beating down on Jonah's head, and so God sends this plant that miraculously springs up overnight, sheltering Jonah from the sun. Then the very next day, God kills the plant. And in his misery over the destruction of this plant, Jonah wants to die. Now, this scene is intentionally ridiculous. Part, part of the irony here is that Jonah mourns the death of a plant while he is simultaneously calling for the destruction of an entire city worth of people. Like, that's kind of funny. It's dark. It's, this is a dark comedy at this point. But that's kind of hilarious. There is an even deeper message here, though. Jonah did nothing to create this plant. 
as God points out, he didn't plant it, he didn't prune it, he hasn't maintained it. This bush or this shrub exists solely because God willed it into existence. And we could say the same thing about Jonah. Jonah's only alive at this point in the story because God saved him from the sea. Jonah and the plant are the same. They both owe their existence entirely to God. And the same is true for Nineveh. Nineveh only exists because God allows it to exist. It's not their power. It's not their military might that keeps them alive. This powerful city only persists because God allows it. And that may seem kind of problematic to us. It's, it's a bit troubling to think that God would allow such a violent culture, such a violent city to exist. But look at the language God uses to describe Nineveh in verse 11. This is fascinating. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Fascinating uh, response to Jonah. And two observations about this. First, when we say not knowing their left hand from their right, that is a really ancient way of describing children. These violent, terrible people are God's children. With all his focus on the evil of the Ninevites, all the awful things they've, they've done, Jonah has forgotten the fact that these are God's kids too. And a second observation about this verse, this is the end of the book. Like, that's it. The last line of the book is this question that, jo that God poses to Jonah. Shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? That's it. God poses this question to Jonah, and then the book just ends. We don't get Jonah's response. We don't see how this uh, conflict between God and Jonah was resolved. The book just leaves us with this question. And I think that's because the question is really being asked of us. Can we learn to accept the unjust mercy of God? Can we learn to see our lives, the lives of those we encounter, the lives of our enemies, and really everything that we possess as a gracious gift from a merciful God. No one really knows uh, exactly when the book of Jonah was written. There's no date provided in the text, no claim to authorship, which makes it really tricky to date a book like this. But the language in the book has led many scholars to give it a later date. Like Jonah might be possibly one of the, one of the later or last books of the Old Testament to be written. Um, the language even shows a little Babylonian influence, which is pretty important if you know your history. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was the biggest, baddest empire the world had ever seen. In the Bible, the Assyrians are always the bad guys. They're portrayed in the most vile of terms. But then the empire of Babylon rose up and crushed the Assyrians. Sometime after the story of Jonah takes place, Again, the dating is kind of tricky here. Um, Nineveh does eventually fall to Babylon. And when that happened, when Assyria fell, the people in Judah, like Jonah's people, were ecstatic. But after Babylon conquered Assyria, where do you think their armies marched next? Yeah, 
they headed south through the ancient homeland of Jonah, right up to the city of Jerusalem, and the Babylonians conquered and destroyed the city, carrying its inhabitants uh, into exile. Now imagine you're a Jewish exile, living in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem. You've lost everything. You've lost your home, your country, your people. And living right next door to you is an Assyrian family. Exiles from Nineveh, your former enemy, who have also lost their home and their country to Babylon, while you looked on and cheered. Suffering has this way of bringing out our shared humanity. Revealing that we are not all that different from our enemies, that, that every single one of us is dependent on God's mercy. When the Jews arrived in Babylon, they received a new word from God, a surprising word that came via the prophet Jeremiah. Seek the peace of the city where you now find yourselves in exile. Don't hate your enemies anymore. Love them. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray that they might receive the same peace and mercy that God has shown to you. A month ago, when we first started this series, we began in Matthew 12, which uh, is the story where the religious leaders mockingly ask Jesus to show them a sign, and he tells them that the only sign they're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Now, we usually assume that the sign of Jonah Jesus is talking about is his time in the grave. Jesus is in the tomb for three days, Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days, and, and that's it. Jesus even makes that connection for us. But if we've learned anything studying Jonah this last month or so together... I think there's far more to the sign of Jonah than a few days in the belly of a fish. Jonah's story is the story of grace. It's the story of God's mercy being poured out on people who don't deserve it. On people who've done nothing to earn it and who are loved solely for the fact that they belong to God. So as we approach the end of Lent and the arrival of Holy Week, May we be attentive to the sign of Jonah in Jesus' journey to the cross. May we see that sign in his washing, the feet, of disciples who would soon deny and abandon him. May we see it in his unjust treatment by the, the legal system of his day, in the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. May we see the sign of Jonah in Jesus' words of forgiveness for those who crucified him, uttered from the cross. May we see it in his death and his resurrection, by which death itself has been defeated. And may we see the sign of Jonah in this beautifully unjust story of God's love and mercy being made available to us all. Amen.